Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 597. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabyte dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Derek Tam Scott. Derek, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yes, might not be five-point harness, but I'm at least buckled. Okay, well, that's good. I'll try to keep it between the lines today. Derek Tam Scott is the founder of The Motoring Enthusiast. His goal is to bring you quality content about interesting cars, whether you're buying, selling, or just kicking tires. Derek is a lifelong automotive enthusiast who started working when he was only 16 years old at Fantasy Junction in California. There he learned the collector car consignment, consulting, and brokerage business and set off on his own to create a career around his passion for automobiles. As an undergrad at Stanford, he built his business and today operates it in addition to a full-time career where he's the marketing strategy and business development analyst at Icon Aircraft in San Francisco. Sounds like you're having fun on the road and in the air, so this is very cool. And I'll let our listeners know, I was just at Car Week last week, um, and I ran into Derek at the Quail. We sat down and had lunch together. I learned a lot about him, and here we go. He's a guest on the show, so thanks for being here, Derek. So, Derek, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share some more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Sure, Mark. Thanks for having me here. Uh, I'm a lifetime uh, car enthusiast, quite literally, as long as I can remember. And uh, my first job was actually as a mechanic working on Jaguars, Land Rovers, Alfa Romeos, Maseratis, Aston Martins, and other sort of esoteric cars. Uh, and somehow they let me work on cars. That's the place where I really learned that old cars are far from perfect and uh, learned to love them in spite of that. Uh, I went actually to Fantasy Junction the next summer uh, while I was still in high school, and there I started detailing cars, actually, and eventually they sort of figured out that I knew a little bit about cars and ended up writing descriptions. And uh, I guess in the industry, the descriptions are uh, pretty well regarded, given the number of them that I see reproduced in other outlets and by other sellers. So I've written probably 80 or 90% of the descriptions for a 10-year period that ended maybe a year ago. Wow. Uh, and I became in sales as well, and I think probably spurred on by the entrepreneurial culture at Stanford, I started my own business uh, as an undergraduate, realizing that I could 
help other people market with marketing their cars and selling their cars. And uh, and uh, more recently, I've sort of ended up becoming a de facto collector, or I would say maybe more accurately, uh, an accumulator of, <laughs> of old cars. And I, I think a lot of listeners can probably identify with that. It sort of just happens. Uh, Mm-hmm. But uh, and as you mentioned, I, I'm now working for a company that makes airplanes. So I basically I'm just a big kid who plays with toys all day long. <laughs> well, very fortunate for sure. And I'll let again I'll let our listeners know. I could tell Derek was a true enthusiast uh, when we were sitting there at the quail, just listening to what he does and the sparkle in his eye and the enthusiasm in his voice. So it's uh, really great to have you here. We're going to learn a lot more about what you're doing these days. But first. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah. So, Derek, take the wheel. Sure. So, aside from the, the cheeky answer, which I guess would be what could possibly go wrong, which is best said before a long road trip in an old <laughs> car, uh, the, the real answer to that, I would say, is, is no regrets, and that dates back to when I was an athlete in high school and our coach would write an acronym on each of our arms with a Sharpie before uh, a race. Uh, And in my situation, I would say that uh, it's important to me because it it reflects uh, an attitude about taking risks. Startups are risky, so my day job's risky, and so is starting your own business. Uh, And I guess the the goal for me is to look back in 10 years or five minutes even, and, and say, you know, am I happy with the decision that I made? Is there a regret that I have about not going down a path? And I think it's easy when you're young and you don't have a whole lot to lose and you say, I'm just going to go out there and, and do this. And, uh, you know, the old car business is funny because it tends to self-select a certain demographic that I, I don't necessarily fit in with. Um, you know, it is, anyone who's an old car guy knows that the majority of them are male, white, middle-aged, you know, at a minimum possibly older than that. Uh, and, you know, I'm relatively young. Uh, I'm, I'm an ethnically ambiguous mixed person, if you'll allow me to use that <laughs> phrase. And also, I, I, I'm gay. And so that has sometimes made me feel like an outsider. Uh, and no will help me uh, focus internally instead of externally and say, you know, what, what is the choice that I can make that I will ensure I have no regrets uh, in the future. Uh, and I took a sort of unusual path. I mean, at Stanford, you're supposed to you know, end up in tech or banking or consulting, and I've sort of become a used car salesman. And so there was this element of, you know, is this the thing I'm supposed to do? And at some point, you just say, you know, no regrets. I'm going to be happy with the decision I made. I'm going to follow, you know, what interests me and, and forget about the externally imposed values from society or from whomever, really. Right, exactly. Well, I'm I'm glad you shared all that because I think it's important for the Cars Yow listeners out there. Now, I'm an older guy. You met me. I kind of fit that profile, older white guy, if you will. The great thing about cars, I think, is it brings all sorts of people together. And as we sat there at the table at the Quail, then I saw you again in the morning at the uh, Concorso Italiano. I think you were, were you driving in the field in a Ferrari? Oh, yeah, I have a three-way Dina. Yeah, there you go. I, I first thought, oh, this is interesting, a young man here. Doesn't quite fit the profile, but again, it's it, the world's expanding, the world's flat, if you will, and everybody's coming together. And the fact that all of a sudden we were sitting there like we were longtime friends talking about cars, sharing our experience with cars, that is the great thing about this hobby, about this profession, and about the business of cars, which has become so big because of the cost of cars these days and, and collector cars. So I'm glad you... uh chosen your path and you're following your passion because that is what Carja is all about. Would you share a story with me that instigated 
your passion for cars. If you look back in time, is there a pivotal moment when you realize that, yep, I'm a car guy? I think it was always true. It was bound to be true because uh, my parents actually met when my, uh, or first spoke when my uh, mother called my father about a 911 that he was selling. And oh, cool. It was his old race car, and ultimately she ta- he talked her out of buying it, which was a good idea because it was uh, pretty used up. But anyway, the earliest memory that I can pinpoint is, of course, a car memory. And uh, I was at the age of three. It was May of uh, 1990, and I was standing on the showroom floor at uh, Carlson Porsche, the dealer, in uh, when it was still in Palo Alto. And uh, there was a guard's red 911 Speedster on the showroom floor that I was just, I was arrested by it. I was stopped looking at it. Uh, and ultimately, my, my mother bought the car, uh, and she still has it today with 15,000 miles on the clock. So uh, that's probably my earliest memory. I mean, uh, my father was an enthusiast through and through. I've listened to other of your episodes, and it seems to be a recurring theme that that uh, fathers are important figures, and mine certainly was too. In addition, in addition to my mother, and she, he always had lots of interesting cars and raced SCCA and won a couple of production national championships. But he sort of chilled out by the time that I, I was born. He was sort of older when I was born, and so he would have all of these stories and all these books and all of these sort of artifacts from this exciting time in his life when he was a race car driver, and I would sort of pour over those when I was a kid, and I, I think it allowed me to develop a sense of nostalgia for a period that I wasn't even alive for, which is probably the origin of my passion, especially for, for old cars. Sure. Uh, so both my parents were really important for me. Cool. Very cool. I love that. Well, Derek, I would love to take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. Now, you're a young man, so you have a whole life ahead of you, but you've lived a lot of life up to this point. I'd love for you to share a huge challenge or even a big failure that you've faced along the way in your career. And, of course, the most important part of failures and being entrepreneurial as you are is these are learning lessons. So how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you? So take us to that painful time, share it with us, and then walk us through what it taught you. Sure. So as I alluded to earlier uh, I think maybe the element of feeling like an outsider in the old car world is, is one of the bigger challenges for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say the point where I sort of overcame it was when I realized that a lot of what I was feeling apprehensive about was internal uh, and that I only needed to focus on the cars and the knowledge and that it was it became clear to people even if they were initially skeptical because of, you know, I don't fit the natural demographic of someone who's knowledgeable about old cars. Mm-hmm. All I had to do was sort of start talking and, and eventually they would understand that, that that I was the same type of enthusiast that they were and that potentially I might even, you know, be able to teach them something about <laughs> yeah. cars. And it's always an interesting experience to watch someone who's initially skeptical go through the full cycle of transitioning from, you know, ha- not sure of my credibility to actually earnestly asking my opinion about something and it's a sort of strange position to be younger than the cars and and be able to teach someone something about a car that they might even already own mm-hmm. uh, so that has been i guess the experience for me which is just to to stay focused on on the knowledge and sort of the enthusiasm and and like you said earlier it's the enthusiasm for cars comes through and I'm naturally a sort of shy and introverted person but except when I'm talking about cars. And so <laughs> yes. it's also sort of a, a social lubricant for me. And I think you see this in a lot of people where they're strangers, but they find common ground because they speak the same language. Uh, and, and that is has certainly been very powerful for me. Well, you know, I'll share a little story with you that happened to me during Car Week. 
The night before the Concours, I was on the lawn at Pebble. They were lining up a whole bunch of Ford GT40s for a big gathering of those cars. Essel Ford was there. Henry Ford III was there. I mean, all these people, these owners of these GT40s. And I got to meet Jim Glickenhaus. And those listeners out there that know who he is will know who he is. Those of you who don't Google him, you will find him. He is a car aficionado. He's done some incredible things. And he's going to be a future guest here. And then a few minutes later... I stopped and talked to a gentleman who was building one of the ramps for the cars to roll over. He was a helper there, a work worker at uh, Pebble Beach. You think, oh, well, you know, here's two extremes from a socioeconomic background, if you will, of what they do. And I had a wonderful conversation with him about his delight with old indie race cars. It's exactly what you just said. Cars bring everyone together. It doesn't matter what your background, who you are, what you look like, what your beliefs are. The other great thing about the car week was, I went six days and didn't have to think once or heard one thing about politics or the upcoming election, which was very refreshing for sure. Thanks for sharing that. Let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story when you had a, a career aha moment. It's that time when those headlights come on and illuminate your way for a new direction in your life. Tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Sure. So I would say one of the formative ones for me was the first sale that I did of a fairly sizable car. It was a Ferrari 250 Lusso. Ooh. And uh, I was shocked. By, uh, the reaction that I had was a sort of, hey, I can do this. You know, I was a college kid at the time, and somehow I managed to answer all the questions of someone on a different continent who has you know, large amounts of money uh, to his satisfaction to the point that he would wire, at the time it was half a million dollars, uh, to you know some other continent some other country and uh, and for me that had a sort of tr- transformative effect where I said I have the equipment I have the tools to to do this business and, and that was empowering as a as a, given my background and a, a, as a college student you don't, you don't think that you can sort of do that sort of thing and, and that is consistent I think with what you see a lot at, at Stanford which is an entrepreneurial inclined place that teaches that a lot of young people can do remarkable things mm-hmm. uh, even before they get their degrees. Uh, and so that uh, was ultimately one of the things that catalyzed me to start my own business just because I realized that there was no time like the present uh, to get going. Exactly. Well, what's your biggest takeaway from that that you can share those to those young listeners or even older listeners that are starting up a new career, a new path? What's the biggest takeaway you can share with them about uh, that experience? The fact that a gentleman overseas would listen to this young man and go, okay, I'll send you a half a million bucks for a car. What's your takeaway you can share? Uh, I would say that, I mean, it's important to to sort of have the confidence and sort of, it, so especially with old cars, right? It's a, I'm not really a sales-oriented person, even though I do sales. I'm more of an information-oriented person. And old cars is a business where you can stay focused on the information. There's no need to convince someone they need a new mattress. Or, you know, it's not like used car sales where you, where you say, this is the car for you, you need this car, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to get you into this car. Instead, it's more consultative. You figure out what their needs are and you, you say, this could be the car for you or no, it's not the car for you, but it's basically the goal is to convey information. So to abstract that a little bit further, I, I would say figure out what the, what you're trying to do and, and how to, to get there and whether it, it might not be what you think it is. Just because it's in the position of sales, it may not mean that you need to be Mr. Warm Handshake 
you know, I'm just razzing you kind of guy. It, it might actually be, uh, so get analytical. Think about the, the, the problem and what you need to solve it, and it may not be necessarily what, how you envision the solution in advance. Stay open-minded. Exactly. I think some genetics filtered through here when you shared the story about your father talking to your, what would be his wife someday and talking her out of a car that wasn't correct for her when you really just wanted to sell a car. He could have just been one of those guys that said, oh, yeah, this is great, perfect for you, and things would have gone on, and maybe you wouldn't be here today. So uh, I think that genetic filter kind of came down uh, through you. I love that. How about proudest career moments? Is there one that stands out for you that you could share with us? Sure. So that Lusso moment certainly was, was proud, although it doesn't really represent, I would say, holistic achievement. I guess it would be the the actually taking the step to start a business. It's something that people don't necessarily, a lot of people never do it in their lives. It requires a certain risk profile. And, and so taking that leap for me, especially while I was still in school and spending what was at the time a significant portion of my net worth to get going on that business was a moment for pride. As you pointed out, there's a lot of my life ahead of me. I hope that I have you know, many more moments in the future, and I'm sure that I will. Uh, and just a lot of the moments throughout running that business were representing, again, votes of confidence from customers. I mean, one of my biggest customers had half a dozen or so genuinely collectible cars that I, I sold, and another one sent me to, to Europe to inspect a car on his behalf and agreed to buy it sight unseen on my recommendation. So I guess it's earning the trust of people who are discerning gives me a, a sense of pride and accomplishment. Absolutely. I have no doubt you have a very positive future ahead of you, Derek. Absolutely. Let's have a little bit of fun here. I'd love for you to share your first really special car. Now, you shared with me in a pre-show chat that you live in San Francisco, very near where my son just moved, and somehow you figured out how to wrangle six garages somewhere throughout the city to park your vehicles. Uh, Let's go back and talk about the first car you got that was really special to you and maybe share a memory you have of that vehicle. Yeah, so that would be, uh, it seems common, I think. It was my first 911. Uh, it was before the impact bumper cars became really hot, and I bought it because it was the right blend of usable and modern, uh, but, al- but also sort of vintage. And it was a G50 transmission Carrera 3.2 coupe, which had been uh, sort of backdated to a 74 Carrera, and it was perfect for a young enthusiast. It was very loud. It had a... SSI heat exchangers and dual exhaust, and it, it uh, had the scripts and the ducktail and a bunch of stuff removed, including soundproofing. So it was really a raw elemental car, and it was painted my favorite 356 color, which was Bali Blue. And I bought that uh, when I was between sophomore and junior years of, of college, and I daily drove it for the next five years or so. Uh, I bought it in Seattle and then road tripped back in it, which seems to be one of my pastimes. Uh, and you know, driving, having it in college was a little bit weird because all the other students there were driving new BMWs or Range Rovers, and I'm in my smelly old Porsche driving <laughs> over Highway 84 to the beach instead of studying for midterms. Um, but my my college, my best friend in college was also a car guy, and uh, we used to, in order to wash our cars, we had to hook the hose up, daisy-chained 200 feet from the back of the dining hall and do it at night because they didn't want us using school water to wash our cars. So I would say <laughs> this college experiences with, with that uh, really loud and sort of raucous 911 are definitely up there. I love it. I love it quite a bit. So kind of a kind of an R-group car, is that what that was? Yeah, 
It, uh, it was not a long hood, so it wasn't technically an R-Group car, but it was definitely built in that spirit. Yeah, very cool. I love it. And that color, Bali Blue, is a great color as well, especially for those vehicles that are of that era. So very nice. Well, how about a car that you've let go that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Now, I know with the car market being what it is, I don't want you to go somewhere where it has to do with money. I want this to be an emotional thing. So is there a car that you let go that you just look back and go, man, I should have never sold that? Absolutely. For uh, There's fewer of those than there are the sort of good riddance. I'm glad that's out of my <laughs> life, for sure. But there's, I, I hope you will excuse me. I probably have to choose two of them. That's okay. One of them was a, a Mercedes 500E, which is a sort of obscure car that inspires a lot of passion in people who know what it is. Yes, it I do. <laughs> built, by, um, built by Porsche in the old 959 factory for mm-hmm. Mercedes. And they were really expensive, high-performance cars. And as a child, I desperately wanted one because it was just, I mean, a lot of it is the fender flares. It has tremendous street presence. And the way that the contemporary journalists wrote about the cars was just its totally effusive. It was really a game-changing car. Anyway, I had one of these that I, again, bought somewhere, I think, uh, Vancouver, Washington, and uh, drove it home, and it had really great history. It had the window sticker and all that stuff, and it was uh, a really nice car. But uh, I'd, I'd sold it for, they've gone up some, and I sold it because probably I bought something else and needed the money or something like that. So that's <laughs> that's number one. And then number two was this, the only Japanese car I've owned, actually, um, was a factory orange um, Datsun 240Z that I bought because it had uh, blue plates and someone had put a 2.8 liter 280Z motor in it with triple Gallardo carbs and the factory uh, headlight covers, which someone offered me $750 for once on the spot, which was 10% of the, <laughs> the uh, car's value. Sure. And uh, according to the previous owner, it had no books or paperwork, but it was cool, and, and so I bought it. And I was digging through the storage bins behind the, uh, the, the seats under the carpet, and I discovered the original manual pack, which had all the books in it, and service records back to noon, uh, wow. including the first oil service at the dealer in San Diego. Uh, and it needed a motor when I bought it, and it smoked so bad that you couldn't drive it with the windows open. Uh, and so I drove it up from L.A. to San Francisco in the middle of the night with the windows closed because it was July, and it would have been too hot to do it during the day. Yeah. And then I had a 3-liter uh, Rebello motor built for it. Uh, Ooh. But I uh, sold it to, uh, to buy my first house. So I suppose that was a worthy cause. But if Bill, if you're listening, I want that car back. <laughs> well, Bill, come on, cut Derek some slack. Give him his car back, please. It's not the first time somebody on the show has said that comment to a hopeful Cars Yeah listener out there. The 500E, first, well, it wasn't the first time I went to the Porsche factory, but I was at the Porsche factory when they first started building those cars and we were taking a tour. And I remember walking by an old brick building and I looked down at the window, kind of in the basement, and I went, what are those Mercedes doing here? And the guy just smiled and he said, those are very special. <laughs> and that was the first building of those cars where they were putting those engines in there. And uh yeah, very cool cars. I really wanted one of those. So I'm jealous that you had one. Nice. Well, let's talk about what you're doing today. I'd love to hear a little bit more of what has you really excited and fired up. And I also want to share with the listeners what you're doing there at Icon Aircraft because I checked out your website after we spoke at that lunch at the Quail, and I went, oh, man, these are cool little airplanes. I know this is Cars Yeah, but for a minute we can say it's Airplanes Yeah. Share a little bit about what you're doing today. 
Sure. So ICON for me is, is uh, it perfectly fits. And actually, there's a lot of parallels I see between uh, airplanes and old cars. Airplanes, you know, you think about flying around in an airliner, and it's this experience where the, you look at the front and it looks like a spaceship, and you're sitting in this aluminum tube looking through a window the size of a, a plate. Uh, and that's, for us at ICON Aircraft, that's not really what flying is about. Flying is about getting out there and experiencing the world in this very visceral way. And I think that's where you'll say, oh, that sounds a lot like driving an old car. It's not about getting from A to B in the most efficient way possible or, or fastest or carrying as much stuff with you as possible. It's about having an unadulterated mechanical experience, you know, and also an unadulterated experience out in the world. So the parallels for me were easy. I mean, I've been passionate about airplanes as well my whole life. Uh, and and being able to apply my sort of old car philosophy to something else that I love has been very rewarding. And I guess that comes back to my earlier comment about the answer might not be what you think it is. Uh, and couple that with the fact that it's a very talented team and the product itself is intrinsically super cool. I mean, it can land on water or land and the wings fold so you can trailer it. Uh, and so invariably we show it behind, you know, Porsche Cayenne Turbo or something like that to, to add further to the appeal. But so, so that's been very rewarding for me working uh, at the airplane company. And then you know, on the car side, I mentioned earlier that I'm sort of de facto accumulating cars, and that is exciting to me to finally be at a place where I can own some of the cars that I always dreamt of, or as you know, as a kid detailing them that I would be rubbing up on when I was a little kid. Uh, and cleaning them, and, and now the fact that I am able to have some of my own. And, of course, probably the last thing I would mention on that topic is is actually what brought us together, Mark, which is this Lamborghini Miura that my dad bought in 1974, which, while I've been alive, has never been an operable car. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as the uh, restoration is coming to an end here, we decided to enter it in the quail, even though it hasn't got the interior in it yet. And just getting close... Because imagine as a, I don't know, as a little kid, you, you're, there's a Lamborghini in your family, but it doesn't exist as a car that can ever be driven, and it yeah. was just this mythical beast. And so for me to have that car uh, approaching its completion is obviously very personally gratifying and, and very exciting. Yeah, I got to see that car on the lawn, a very, very cool yellow, fantastic-looking car. I can't wait to see it completed. And, um, you know, going back to the aircraft, I'm going to encourage, uh, again, this is Cars Yeah, but I'm going to encourage the listeners to check out your website, iconaircraft.com. This is a very, very unique aircraft, uh, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Super cool-looking. I love the fact you could trailer it behind your Cayenne or Range Rover or your BMW X5. Land on water, land. Uh, check it out because uh, I know Cars Yeah listeners are into mechanical things, and uh, this is very cool. And I can't wait for you to send me pictures of you driving that Lamborghini when it's finally back on the road. With I'm sure you're going to have a huge smile on your face uh, with your dad right next to you. So very cool. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Derek. If you were a car, what kind of car would Derek be? And why? The struggle here, I think, is always to say what kind of car are you actually versus what kind of car would you like to be. Now, this isn't about what you want to be. This is about how you perceive yourself. All right. So, nevertheless, I'm going to suggest a Ferrari 550 Maranello. Oh. For me, cars are, I mean, I think the natural inclination, because I've been a Porsche guy so long, would be to say a 911, but I'm a little bit too, um, emotionally driven to say that I'm fully a German car. So I, I think because 
car experience for me is very uh, emotional. It's very personal. I'd have to choose an Italian car. Uh, but also I'm relatively young, and so as much as I'd like to choose some classic that's fully developed and widely recognized as a blue-chip car, I'm probably not old enough to be one of those. So <laughs> the Ferrari 550 Marinello is a traditional car. It's front-engine V12, uh, and it has a proper manual gearbox, which I think I would be because I'm sort of an analog uh, type of person, and uh, couple that with the sort of Italian culture and the passion and the language that I have for that place, uh, I would say that that would be, if I could be considered that, I would be very pleased. Very thoughtful answer. You did that very well. I think that's perfect. So Derek, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Okay, Derek, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Sure. So let's see. This might be from one of the customers of Fantasy Junction who was a rather eccentric fellow from Spain who said, you know, Derek, we are in the business of selling dreams, dreams that explode. 
And I think he was trying to be funny, but, uh, and, you know, of course, on some literal level, it's true that old cars periodically burst into flames. But for <laughs> me, that sums up the sort of Zen attitude about old cars, is that you have to sort of t- roll with the punches and that unexpected things can happen. And you know, you, if you have a vision about how life will be with the classic, sometimes it's a dream that ends up exploding. And so you have to remain <laughs> flexible and a little bit spontaneous. Uh, if you are considering living with a classic. Yes, absolutely. All of us who've ever had a classic and taken a road trip or a tour uh, certainly are smiling right now and understand that. Your best tool to bring along is a mobile phone. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Sure. It's uh, both a plus and a minus. I, um, I would say it's sort of methodical refinement or, or iteration is to sort of revisit things that you've done before you consider it finished and make sure you're, you're happy with it. And that can be a time sink, and you have to balance that. But uh, it, yeah, generally, I end up very satisfied with the result if I, uh, if I really review it and make sure that it's, it's exactly how I want it to be. And some of the perfectionists out there who might be you know, having fun in their garage will identify with that. But the, the end result is very satisfying, and also it, it's clear to other people that you care a lot if you you go through that trouble to make sure that you're really putting your best foot forward. Absolutely. Now, how about a resource? Is there one out there that you'd like to share with our listeners that you've really enjoyed as well? Sure. If, I'll, it'll be sort of a car-buying-centric response, but uh, drawing on the expertise of others, I, I made the mistake at a young age, I think I was trying to prove myself, of, of saying, you know, I'm going to do this myself. And, and it turns out there's a lot of people out there who've done it before, and especially in the car world where there's really deep domain expertise. You can go out on the forums, despite the fact that there's, you know, trolls for sure, uh, and just learn a hell of a lot about whatever it is that you're thinking about doing. And that, for me, has been really satisfying because I love building a really deep knowledge about uh, about any car that is close to me. And so do use the Internet and all those anoraks out there and uh, who really know something deeply and then try and internalize that stuff and you'll end up with a great depth of knowledge about a lot of different cars if that's the direction you want to go. Absolutely. And how about a book? Is there a book that you've read that you think the Car Show listeners should read as well? Yeah, my favorite book, and this will be a little bit of an abstraction, but I'll, I'll tie it all together hopefully, is that it's a novel, and it reminds me of an old car because it has such a depth of experience. I mean, we like old cars because they are interesting viscerally. I mean, you can engage just about every sense except for probably taste, ideally not taste. Um, and it just, so it's a viscerally interesting car. It appeals to your senses, but there's also this technical element that appeals to your nerdiness if you have it or your engineer's side, which is, you know, this car is really interesting because you know, it was the first transverse V12 car, and it was a mid-engine car that, whatever, so there's there's that element. And then there's cultural significance, so to continue the, the mirror discussion that I uh, alluded to just now, you'd say, Frank Sinatra had one of these, and all the people who designed the car were under 30 years old, and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, <laughs> this, my favorite book is sort of like that. It makes you laugh, it makes you cry. It's called uh, Corelli's Mandolin, and it takes place during World War II, and it has you know, war books and a deep sense of history, but there's also this sort of romantic experience that makes, you know, engages a lot of different parts of, of a human being uh, emotionally and intellectually. So that would be my nomination there. It's just a good, satisfying read. First time that book's been recommended, the author, and I'm going to butcher his name because I can never speak French well, Louis de Berniers? Berniers? Yeah, yeah, something like this. <laughs> something, something like that. 
Well, listeners, I'll make sure that that book is listed on Derek's show notes page at carsyad.com slash Derek Tam, T-A-M dash Scott. And that will be there along with all the other past 596 guests here on Cars Yeah. There's a great place also on the website called Guest Recommended Books under Resources, where you can find this book and all the other books for quick, easy clicks to buy. All right, Derek, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price, I'll buy you anything you'd like today. What would that vehicle be, and more importantly, why? I think about this often, and, and people ask me this question often, and, and I never, it's, it's always a struggle. Yes. But I guess if I had to choose one, it would probably be, and this would be no surprise, a Lamborghini Miura. Uh, the temptation is to pick a big Ferrari, but I think based on just the personal significance of the Miura, it would probably win for me. And I think it's some of the reasons I talked about before, which is that it's a very visceral car, it's, it's beautiful, it sounds great, it's very physically engaging to use it, it's obviously achingly beautiful. Uh, it's technically interesting and, and innovative. I mean, the, the packaging and the fact that it was the first supercar, um, LJK Setright invented the term supercar for the Miura, mm. uh, and we still use it today to describe a very special experience and uh, the cultural relevance with the Italian job and Frank Sinatra and Miles Davis. Uh, and then, you know, it has interesting history around its development about how all the engineers were so young uh, and it's rare, and so that's basically all the ingredients of a really good collector car, with the exception of uh, competition heritage, which Lamborghini, Ferruccio Lamborghini, famously uh, did not want his cars racing. So, I think that would be the car for me. It would be the uh, Miura. Very nice choice. Now let's narrow this down a little bit. Would it be an earlier model, an SV, and what color would you like? Uh, I think it would have to be an SV. Uh, oftentimes you hear from the sort of Lamborghini insiders that the SV was the car that the original Miura was supposed to be. It wasn't exactly intended for production, and they sort of hurried it into production based on the the response of the market to, to the car when it was shown at Turin and then Geneva in 1965 and 66. So I would say SV because it's an appreciably better car. Um, Color-wise... This is going to be a, a sort of collector car world answer, which would be the car's original color, and ideally <laughs> it's an unusual one. So uh, for me personally, I tend to gravitate towards blue, and uh, blue is not uh, a very common color on those cars too. So right. that, I think, is the answer. Very nice choice, my friend. What a wonderful car. That'll look beautiful sitting next to your father's yellow Lambo for sure. And here's a little side note. My 600th guest will be on Monday here at Cars yeah, and his name is Valentino Balboni. And the first car he got to test drive at Lamborghini was a Miura, which is kind of a cool side note, considering he spent 40 years driving all of their cars as their official test driver. So check out his show on Monday at Cars yeah. Valentino Balboni and the Miura. Wow. Well, Derek, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed getting to know you better, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you head off down the coast highway in that Lamborghini Miura SV? Yeah, I would say it would be to to go and learn and educate yourself. I, I have people who know me describe me as encyclopedic, and I sort of just, as a kid, I would just sit there reading a lot. And uh, 
And the owner of Fantasy Junction recounts the story about how at nine years old I was saying, oh, this car that's sitting on your showroom floor is a Porsche 962. And he said, how do you know it's not a 956? And I said, well, the driver's feet are behind the uh, front axle, so that's how you tell a 956 from a 962. And I was, you know, nine. <laughs> and so I've always been sort of very uh, detail-oriented, and I love to learn things. And so, you know, go down tangents, read articles. If it's like Wikipedia, then start clicking through all the little links in there, and you'll end up in places you didn't expect to end up, and you learn a whole bunch of stuff about something that you didn't intend or set out to, to do. And I guess you could extend that elsewhere other than just learning about cars, but uh, I've, I've seemed to have... It's worked for me in my life to sort of go down a path and, and take it as far as it'll go, and you never know where you might end up uh, as a result in the future. So, And that, uh, in, I would all sum that up as just saying... Never stop learning if it's something that you're passionate about. Very wise advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and the companies you were involved with? Sure. So my website is, a, is uh, themotoringenthusiast.com, including the, the the. And uh, there you can see the cars that are currently on offer as well as the ones we sold in the past. And then, as you mentioned before, uh, Icon Aircraft's website is iconaircraft.com. Uh, and we're both in California uh, making uh, the dreams of grown-up children come true to the best of our ability. <laughs> you are doing that as well. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything here that Derek's been so kind to share on his show notes page at carsyeah.com. Just type Derek, D-E-R-E-K, in that search bar, and that page will pop up with all these links. I would exp- I really insist, or let me say this again, <clears throat> I would suggest you explore his website, check out what he's doing with his cars, uh, also, Icon Aircraft, spectacular what they're doing as well there. You'll have a lot of fun for sure. Derek, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the Cars Yow listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. It was an absolute pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.